This is Work From Home, the podcast that helps you stay connected, productive, and sane while working remotely. I'm Harry, and today, uh, a really interesting conversation with Sean Blander. Sean wrote an article that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and we'll, we'll link that up in the show notes so you can check it out. The reason we talked about it, we, we obviously, uh, you know, espouse the benefits of remote work, and we're huge fans of kind of working from home, working remotely, and kind of the flexibility that that provides and you know the benefits that are associated with that kind of that lifestyle choice sean however is perhaps not so convinced of the you know uh, the fact that remote work is the answer uh, and the the best future that we can look for- towards um so we thought it'd be really interesting to get someone whose viewpoint is just so different from ours and perhaps not such a, a rosy vision of the future with, with regards to remote work to really tease apart an opinion that's totally different from our own and that might be kind of useful to, to understand and give us some really healthy and interesting things to think about when we think about what does going back to work look like when lockdown ends and, and we are in this post-COVID world that everyone talks about and that is very excitedly looking forward towards, you know, what will that transition back into the, the real, in quote marks, um, world look like, you know, and what will that balance between remote and in-person culture kind of look like? Um, Sean's got some really interesting views on this and a lot of experience from both remote work and, you know, physical workplace stuff. Uh, so it was really, really interesting chatting to him. Firstly, would you just, uh, you know, just kind of explain your position, I guess? I'd just be interested to know, like, what, what led to you to think this way and, and what do you, what is your kind of thoughts on this? Sure. So the short version of the piece for uh, people who likely haven't read it is uh, the title is uh, Our Remote Work Future is Going to Suck. And the subtitle is uh, why are we always assuming the distributed workforce is a good thing for the worker? And the, the four-ish main points are remote work makes, makes you vulnerable to outsourcing. Uh, it can reduce your job to a metric. It can create frustrating change-averse bureaucracies, and it can stifle your career growth. And the piece is me going through those one at a time and why I believe that to be true. They definitely and, do. And, and that last one I think is really interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to kind of pick these each apart individually. And, and the reason for the piece existing was... There's definitely this kind of like techno future optimist bent that runs through when we talk about remote work. And I think for good reason, there's a lot of great conveniences and opportunities open up by remote work. I've definitely worked at places solely because I was only able to work there because they were remote. So I'm not, I'm not like overtly negative about it or I'm not uh, solely negative about it, but I think the discourse around it is like 99% positive. Just this assumption that this is good and this assumption that everyone is on board and, um, I, I didn't agree with that, and I, I would have I would talk to some people who also didn't agree with it, but were like not encouraged to voice up because you know it, it was almost like some guilt, or maybe I did something wrong, and that's why I don't like remote work. So that's, those are the big picture reasons why I wrote the piece. So let's dig apart these points. You, you, the first one that you make is that remote work democratizes talent for everyone, even you. So tell us what you mean by that, and and how that plays out as to us as employees. This is where my maybe uh, American bias is going to come through uh, a little bit. But the, the notion that when you talk to people about the benefits of remote work and they're like, oh, I don't have to live in Bay Area, New York, D.C., L.A., when, you know, these tech hubs in the States, they're like, I can move to a rural area. I can go live by my parents. Right. I can I can pick my spot. And that assumes that the job you have will still be the job you have. Just you will be living somewhere else. And what I feel like that actually is ignoring is once you decouple the job for location, your employer can shop that anywhere. So a line I have is, you know, that job's not just going to you, but in like the Hudson Valley on a cute farm, it's going to anyone. 
And I think there's this presumption, um, especially among Americans, where the American talent base is so strong or I'm so talented that I will always beat the people internationally. And I think recent history with manufacturing jobs has proven that not to be true. The moment employers can decouple something from the location and find it cheaper, they will. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's really interesting because like you've, you've cited um, Jason Fried in the article and I'm, I'm, I can't remember if it's the, the same thing, but one thing that they mentioned, Basecamp, their company, uh, for anyone that doesn't know that's listening, it's very, they are a remote first company and they really kind of are huge proponents of, of remote work as literally wrote of, the book. It literally wrote the book remote, um, which is a great book. Check it out if you haven't. But uh, one of the things that they kind of cite, and this is kind of funny to many of us, is that they they basically assume that all of their uh, workers are based in San Francisco and they pay rates based off what they would expect to pay someone based in the Bay Area of the United States, which for, again, anyone that doesn't doesn't know, the, the average wage is much higher there than it might be in other places. Many, many companies don't have that that option, right? They, they won't be paying people more than they need to because they're a company and they need to be profitable and they need to be realistic. And so I think your point is a very good one that, that if you have a remote team and you say, hang on, all of my employees are based in London and they expect London wages, well, I could just actually replace them with folks that live in rural Ireland, let's say, and pay an awful lot less for, for potentially the same talent base. You see this Facebook's dealing with this right now, right? Facebook is going remote for about a year, I think they said. So, And they said that there'll be... Um a remote first company moving forward. And that's that spurred some discussion of, well, we're not gonna pay everyone the Bay Area rate. And then there's like some backlash from the worker, like, well, why not? And you can already see that starting to like crack a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. So yeah, I mean, what does that what does that mean for us? Like, how do we- What do we do about this? Yeah, what do we do about it? Like, what, what, do, we, what do we conclude from it? And, and how do we do something with it? Well, there's like, a, there's like a systematic answer and there's a personal answer. The systematic answer is, I think I, if I had a magic wand and was emperor of the universe, I would rather have more base camps pop up in cities and small towns all across the world. Like every city and town should have its tech company in which it could employ locally. But that is somewhat probably unrealistic. I think instead it's, um, there's a little bit of, you gotta play a little defense as a knowledge worker and a technologist um, when it comes to your career. If you start to see that your skill set is being easily outsourced and for cheap, you either have to be so good that they'll pay you anyway, or shift to whatever it is, the combination of skills, which that becomes not possible. And this is where my argument comes in. That's harder to do when everyone's remote, much harder to do. Yeah. Cool. So let's, let's, let's dig into that. So why is it harder to do? I guess that the, the next point is it enables you to be forgotten. And that's something that I think a lot of people acutely feel right now is that they're not next to, they're not in the cubicle next to their, their colleagues that they were before. They can't grab a coffee with people. They can't go to lunch. It's really easy to just kind of disappear into the background, especially if you're a junior employee, right? You're not like a, a linchpin in the company. It can be quite um, a challenge. I'd be curious if people listen to this, but especially long-term remote workers, but I've witnessed more so in the remote companies than the in-person companies that the people who do kind of like the glue work, the unsung work, the supportive work, don't get their due in a remote company as much. And it's because that stuff's just not visible, right? Remote work distills things to outputs. And for a lot of people, that's refreshing and great, and they like that. And I, I am sympathetic to that. But a lot of work is requires more than that. And some of the pushback I got from this piece is, hey, man, that's true in real life. Like a manager can ignore the glue work you do in real life. And, you know, this comes down to like quality of leadership. And I'll, I'll see that to a certain degree. But also, it's just much easier and much more exacerbated if it's remote work. You, your manager needs to be a 10 out of 10 to figure that stuff out. And even then, they might not. 
So I found that a lot of people who truly care are truly trying to grow and help other people grow aren't as rewarded because remote work is imbalanced in that it, it awards the output and maybe not so much of what goes into the input. Yeah, so it's democratized talent. <laughs> so, so you're, 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 you know, this is this is sounding quite fearful. We're measured by metrics um, and therefore can be can be outsourced. We're forgotten about. You know, we we no longer are able to kind of have that relationship with our colleagues that we might have before. So we're at even more threat. <laughs> to a certain person, and, and this is some of the defense of remote work. Like both of those things are actually good, right? It's like, oh, the idea that no one's going to bother me or worry about my process. I can just put my head down, knock out the work and like live my life. And I don't have to, I don't have to do the uh, business theater of going into the office and doing meetings. I, I'm like somewhat sympathetic to that, but I think a lot of people not only need that, but rely on that and also um, build both their skill set and their careers and add value through the things that happen in person. And I, I think that half or maybe not half, but that group of workers isn't present when we talk about remote work. And again, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the piece. So thank you again very much to Sean for joining us and kind of teasing some of these, some of his thoughts apart. And um, we'll be returning to our conversation with him and going into more of that uh, in another episode very soon. So do stay tuned for that. If you want more information on Sean and his the other things that he's written about, um, definitely worth checking out his website, seanblander.com. Thank you very much for listening. And as ever, if you did enjoy this and you think that uh, someone else that you know would benefit from listening to this conversation about the future of remote work, we would love it if you would share it with them. WFHpodcast.com is the website. So do go there for more information. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks.